Amen. While you're standing, please take your Bible or wherever you look to find the Scripture. We want to go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We're continuing in this study of the pastoral epistles in order. First Timothy, Titus, and then Second Timothy, if we ever get there. And uh, get there we will if the Lord doesn't come back first. So we are in chapter 3. This is a marvelous passage. Uh, I can't say enough about it. And so therefore, you see on your outline and uh, on the, the slide uh, that's up there, this is part one. I plan on coming back, drilling down a little bit more deeply on the subject of regeneration, being born again. It just bears repeating and uh, we need to look at that over and over again. But for now, we're going to be focusing on chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, but in order to get there, because Paul says 4, and he, he's reminding us of something he just said that was very important, and he's, given us, he's giving us the how of how we get there. How do we do what's mentioned in verses 1 and 2? which at first reading seems almost impossible if we're realistic about it. But he gives us how we get there in verses 3 through 7. So let's go back to verse 1. We'll read this and pray, jump in to a study of this passage of Scripture. Paul tells Titus, remind them, remind the believers there at Crete to be Submissive to rulers, if you have a problem with that, refer to last week's message. We talked more in depth about that. To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of, say this with me, no one. And the Greek there means no one. To avoid quarreling. I told you this was tough. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. How in the world can we get there? Let's read on. For we ourselves, remember this, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, th this is breathtaking. 
to see the, the words of the Apostle Paul, really words that he was inspired by the blessed Holy Spirit to write of how you, our awesome God, took the initiative when we were just like the people that we often criticize. And Lord, help us today, help me in these few moments just to express some of the wonder of your salvation in these verses. Help us to be uh, arrested by the very words that we have said and now that we will study. And Lord, I thank you that you will give us aid as we not only look at this, but listen to the teaching of this, and then we will act upon it. And we thank you for being with us today. Thank you for helping us and aiding us in our worship through music and through song to you. And now help us in our worship as we listen to your word and respond to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I just gave it away. The, the word for looks back to verses 1 and 2 of Paul's high expectations of believers. Now, you need to let this soak in. Parents, I know you have, or at least I hope you have, high expectations for your children. Do you? You don't want them just to lead a so-so life. You have high expectations. Grandparents, I know you have high expectations for your kids and for your grandkids. And here Paul, as I said a minute ago, puts up in verses 1 and 2 this, this almost impossible, it, it seems impossible for us to be able to submit. You remember last week? Put our personal agenda, our personal mission under sub the mission of our leaders? I mean, come on. When you look around and you see some of the people and some of the things that they say and do, and yet Paul says we are in submission to them. We are to be obedient to them, that we are to speak evil of no one, even those that sometimes do things that are beyond our imagination. For all those in leadership, from parents, listen to me, to teachers, to policemen, to presidents. And that is impossible, apart from the grace of God that has appeared to us. Don't defame, don't condemn, pray for them. Be ready for every good work toward them in spite of their evil words and their lies. Now, we can speak the truth in love, but that does not include defaming. And here's what's going to happen. I, I want you to see this because you may think that this is just for you personally. This has a missional underpinning, Okay? If we live like verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 say, then people around us, they may not get it, and they may not like us, but they are going to see something different. And you have to realize that this is not just some little thing so that you can get through your personal hang-ups with submission and obedience to leadership. 
no matter how old or how young you are. This is missional. We have a missions conference coming up, a whole month of missions emphasis in the month of February. And folks, to get there, we need to realize that before we go to to Costa Rica or to Mexico or to Turkey or any place else that we go or we go across the street, that this needs to be true of us, that we need to live such good lives among the pagans, just like the pagans on Crete, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Now, now watch this. On the day he visits us, They may not give glory to God right now, but on that day that he comes back, and he is coming back, they as well as we will give glory to God because they'll get it at that point. So let's look on through this. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish. If if you mark in your Bibles, I don't recommend this if you're using your cell phone. Uh, Maybe you can highlight it with all of the things you can do on the cell phone, maybe you can highlight it. But I would like you to highlight we were. We ourselves. I love this because Paul didn't say you guys that lived on the island of Crete were like this. You guys that, oh, you came from Oklahoma City, but, you know, I'm different. I came from Arkansas and we're less sinful there. Ha. Paul includes himself in this. We ourselves were once. This is huge. We were foolish. I'm not going to spend a lot of time defining that. You you know what it is to be foolish. You and I were foolish. Sometimes we still make, even as believers, foolish decisions. That's why I would say to our, I looked over there at the students, I just thought, students, please consult elder, your elders, your parents, and before you make a decision, so you won't end up being foolish and making foolish decisions. That's just a a little principle from the Word of God that can go a long, long way. Also, Also, it says that we were disobedient. We were led astray. We were deceived. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Now, I want you to notice that you're if you're a believer in Christ, all of this is in the past tense, okay? And that's why I wanted you to highlight we were. We're going to be looking at some other scriptures to support this. But we were once enslaved to various passions and pleasures, and your passion and pleasure may not be the one that I was enslaved to. Mine may not be the ones that you were enslaved to, and that's why he just lumps it all together. Passing our days. This is so descriptive. We just day by day lived in this whole attitude of malice and envy. Is anybody here about this time thinking, not me? If we dug deep enough, I think we could find some of that malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And and Paul makes this, it's it's a drastic jump from verses 1 and 2 to verse 3. And, and again, do, do, you, do you look around and see enough insanity in, in the world and in our own country that you just shake your head and wonder what in the world are people thinking? 
Now, again, we can be honest. We can speak the truth in love, but Paul says we, we look back and we remember that we too were like that. We too were utterly lost. We too had this utter inability. It's what the old divines called total depravity. You've heard us say over and over again that doesn't mean that every lost person is as bad as they can be. Not every bad, lost person is a Hitler or a Mussolini or, or that kind of person, but every person is totally lost. This is descriptive of an unbeliever. It's nothing new. It goes all the way back to the garden. I shared this last week, and we, we really need to get a handle on this. We need to stop saying that whatever context you're using, I hear it a lot about our country, that once we were good and we have become bad and we need to become good again. That's not the gospel. It goes back to the garden. And since the garden, we have been utterly depraved, totally lost, unable to save ourselves, and unable to do any good work that approves us before God. We are born into sin. Individually and collectively, all mankind, since the pronouncement and the judgment came in the garden, and even a guy of the caliber of David, King David, would say, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born. When I was born, I was born in iniquity. Oh, guess what? It goes back even further in the womb. I was conceived in sin. And that's not some archaic kind of thing to let us get off the hook. Jeremiah 17, 9, in describing the Israelites, but oh, how it describes us. And you've, you've seen this verse. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. That's, that's what it means, deceitful above all things. And it's desperately wicked. That word is not used in the ESV. I use the King James, the NIV. Because wicked is a particular word that we, we no longer seem to relate to today. Oh, you can call me fallen. You can call me mistaken. But don't call me wicked. Well, God says through Jeremiah the prophet that the heart is incredibly beyond understanding the wickedness and the fallenness and the deceitfulness of the human heart. And that's why when you read in a book or you hear a particular speaker say, just trust your heart. Follow your heart. And unless you are born again, and unless you are being saturated with God's Word and daily walking with the Holy Spirit, you better not trust your heart because this is a description of it. This is the past tense. Remember, all of this is the past tense. This is consistent with other statements. Now, I'm not going to read all of this. I've got, I've got four different slides. The verses are divided up, but I want you to note several things on this. I was going to just put the first part of it, and you were dead. You were. That's past tense. He's talking to believers. This is not just a generic 
talk to the whole world like this. This, this is believers. This is people who are regenerate or born again. And he says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead means dead. Doesn't, it doesn't mean almost dead or partly alive. It doesn't mean that. But then you, you see what it, it, that same thing. This is a parallel. What were you doing when you were dead in your trespasses and sins? You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, shocking, but not surprising. News from Reno, Nevada. You don't care about Reno, Nevada. But is it a picture of other things? And this is what happens when you, you have to just kind of accommodate everybody. Some of the, the more conservative members of the city council in Reno said, we need to have prayer before our council meetings. Hmm, okay. So guess what they had to do? They had to invite a Satanist to say a prayer, and he did. Oh, there was feedback on either side, but it's just, it's, it's indicative of some of the things that have gone on. And at the, end, at the end of his prayer, here's what he said. Would you like to know what he said at the end of his prayer? feel like it's an invocation, but in a totally different way. He said, in the spirit of the unconquerable son, a little s, look, he's talking about Satan, the unconquerable son, would you say he's foolish? Would you say he's deceived? Don't curse him, pray for him. What if all of the Christians who saw that news article, instead of saying, Casting the defaming thought or running him down. He's lost. He's held captive by Satan to do his will. God, God says that in his word. What do you expect but for him to call him, Satan, the unconquerable son, the bringer of light and knowledge? Is that true? That's absolutely false. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. But this was, I thought, boy, this is where mm, we say in the spirit of the unconquerable son, the bringer of light and knowledge, we say, hail Satan. We, we say all hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. These people are lost. Look, look at this. This is what we once were. Now, you may not realize that you were held captive by Satan, but the Bible clearly says, we go back to David, conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's, that's the way, that's your nature from the get-go. You walked in those sins, you followed the course of the world, and you followed the prince of the power of the air. This young man who prayed that prayer is just like we were. And some of us have actually gotten to the point where we think we don't, we were not like that. 
The Bible says differently, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, these are lost people, by the way, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Hmm, that sounds like what Paul says to Titus. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. It's amazing how the Word of God just supports itself. If you believe that this is inspired, which we do, right? It's amazing. You were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. But Paul doesn't finish there. In another book written to the Corinthian church, sometimes I've heard the Corinthian church like, oh man, they were a mess. Folks, they were all a mess without Jesus. Without regeneration and renewal by the Spirit. And so we find this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And it's not because they're worse sinners than we are. They're, they're lost. We were too. Do not be deceived. Hmm, does he mention that here? Yes. And then he goes through a litany. You know, Paul gives a list in, second, in, in, in Titus. He gives a list in, in, in Timothy. He gives a list here. He gives various kinds of lists. And, and, and the key is not that, that you might match a particular thing that's on the list. The picture is don't be deceived. That if you... Listen, live this kind of lifestyle. It reveals that you really have not been born again. You're still a slave to Satan. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's what he reminds us about here. But you were washed. Titus said what? Paul said what in Titus? Washing of regeneration. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So let's bring this up. We're looking at what we were, what we are, and this, this passage has it all. It has even what we will be, the last verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we'll take a break from all of the verses up on the the, the slide, First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is. You were, now you, you are. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. It's in the past. Behold, the new has come. These are in the past. Are they in your life? It's not rhetorical. You, you don't have to say anything out loud. Are they in your life? Are they in the rearview mirror? Are they chasing you? They, they will chase you because you've still got the flesh, but you've got a brand new nature that struggles against the flesh. And look at this. The new has come. The old has passed away. The, behold, the new has come. I'll be saying it this week and next week, uh, for, for years and years and years. Um, I, I don't know that I, and I, I don't, I really don't. I, I don't look out on Sunday mornings and wonder who's regenerate and who's not. But I know that in every congregation of every church, every Sunday, every used to be Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, 
that I would preach, there would be people in the congregation who were walking in the worth and who somehow thought that they're walking in the are. Their life had never transitioned. Oh, they might have walked an aisle, as the old saying goes. They might have taken the preacher's hand. They might have prayed a prayer. They might have even been baptized. They might even come to church regularly. But there are plenty of people in churches across the land, and maybe even some here today, that this lifestyle that we just described ought to be in the past, but unfortunately it defines your life. You claim Jesus as Savior, but He's not Lord on a daily basis. You're not seeking to serve Him. That's not a priority. Now listen, folks, I know we all struggle with getting our priorities right, but if there is not a, a, a principle inside of you that seeks to make Jesus Christ, your priority, seeks. Then you, you need to go back and begin to ask the question of yourself. Am I regenerate? Am I really born again? Well, I've hammered on that. Because Paul does. I, I, my favorite quote in the quotes today is the shortest quote of George Whitfield. George Whitfield, John Wesley, they were preachers that came over from England and helped the colonies when they needed a bunch of help and they preached the gospel. And George Whitfield was one of the most powerful preachers, uh, solid, thoroughgoing Calvinist who preached repentance and faith. People were saved, and, and, and others, you know, are part of that. You may not recognize their name, but I love this. When George Whitfield was asked why he so often preached, ye must be born again, he replied, because ye must be born again. And so what we've been talking about, because that's what Paul talks about to Titus on Crete, He's been talking about the bad news, but he's been putting in the past. That's what described you in the past. So the bad news is we, we're sinners by nature and by act. The good news is God is gracious to sinners. The good news is there is a Savior. Move on to the fourth verse. But, don't you love it? We saw that word used, that adversative used in, in, in Ephesians 2, 5, but, talks about all of the bad, here's what you were, but, when the goodness and loving kindness, I love this. I've already talked about total depravity, so you know I believe that. Now, I'm going to pull out of this because it's there, unconditional election. And you watch, but when you finally smartened up and you kind of worked up the wherewithal to say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, 
it doesn't say that. It says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. We talked about that appearing several weeks ago. Unmerited favor. That's what unconditional election is all about. His choosing of you and me was not based on anything he saw. We're going to see this again in a minute. Our salvation is totally of sovereign grace. Totally. Salvation doesn't belong to us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And through his abundant grace, he's allowed us to get in on it. I mean, let's face it, you and I didn't plan before the foundation of the world to bring about the incarnation. Did you? Did any man, philosopher, dream up the incarnation of God, of Jesus? No, that that was totally of God. And at exactly the right time, Jesus came into the world and the goodness of God Jesus reveals in action the goodness of God in principle. God is good, right? How often? All the time. And all the time? I know that sounds trite, but it is so true. His loving kindness is His love as His constant attitude. And we'll go back to this, but God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were in that pitiable situation of our lives, he made us alive together with Christ. It's a picture of the new birth. Colossians 1.13 says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's, that's the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan's domain. That's where we were, and he's delivered us from that and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is totally light. And and I I just, we have said this over and over again, I don't think there can be a deep appreciation of what we've just read. If you just come to church and you hear nice little stories about conquering giants and putting out fires and being thrown thrown into a lion's den that you get taken out of. But you will never develop a deep appreciation for God being rich in mercy and His loving kindness, His goodness, if you don't first appreciate that which we once were. I saw a meme last week. At least that's what it was called. I I didn't know what a meme was, so I had to look it up. And a meme is, well, I'm still not sure. You guys guys help me out at the end, okay? I need help. But I, I saw that it had two pictures. On one side, a guy who's the pastor of the largest church in America. I won't mention his name. Uh, he preaches the gospel so-called of self-esteem. And he, so he wrote a book, The Power of I Am. Two words that will change your life today. And I thought, oh, man, finally he's on the right 
target. He wrote a book about the I am. And then I read the quote. I, I looked it up on Amazon. I read the quotes. I am prosperous. I am successful. I am talented. I am healthy. Do you think just saying you're healthy is going to make you healthy? He does. And he preaches it as the gospel. I am positive. So, some of you need to tell that desperately to your neighbor. Listen to this. I am beautiful, not on my best day. But he has another. I am attractive. And then the meme has on the other side the Apostle Paul his I am, I am wretched. And God gets the glory from saving wretches like you and me. Let's go on to verses 5 and 6, or we'll never get finished. He saved us. It was out of that loving kindness. Oh, look at the loving kindness, the goodness of our God and Savior. Now, notice how he's called our God and Savior here later on because the two go together, the Holy Trinity. Jesus is called our God and Savior. He saved us. There it is again. He saved us. Salvation is of, of the Lord. Not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things. We're going to get into that. Maybe not totally today, but we're going to get into that. Whom He poured out, the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. His great loves, love brings you from what you were to what you are if you are born again. Verse 2 of this chapter said, we need to be ready for every good work. I can't be ready unless I am born again. You can't be ready for every good work. You may be the nicest young man, the nicest young woman, the nicest older man, older woman in the world. People may talk glowingly about you, but you are not ready for any good work that is recognized by God until you are born again. That's why we're reminded verses like this. These are supportive verses of everything that I am saying, everything that Paul is, is, is telling Titus, all our righteous deeds, our works, are just like filthy rags. They, they, they can't win us anything. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. No one does good, not even one. Dead people can't do works of righteousness. In fact, for a person who is unregenerate, there are no such works. They simply cannot be done. Now, what does regeneration mean? 
It means to live again. Basically, it is synonymous. If you want to write down what regeneration means, it means born again. You've been born again by the washing of regeneration. It's an inward reality. It's brought about by the Holy Spirit. How do we know? Because Jesus in his, this whole chapter of, of, third, of John chapter 3 is, it is so instructive. I mean, I was meditating on it this morning and thinking, okay, this leader of the Jews comes to, he, he makes an appointment to come to this young, upstart, itinerant prophet at the beginning of his ministry. If I had been in those shoes, I'm glad I weren't uh, Jesus, I probably would have been thinking, oh, maybe I can get some ideas from him about how to advance my career, my ministry. Uh, he, he, might, he might be able to put me in contact with some very important people in the religious world. And so Nicodemus comes to him and, and, and he says some things that kind of reveal where his heart is. Now again, watch this. Nicodemus was not a bad man. As far as just what the world would say, but he was unregenerate at that point. He was not yet born again, and so he didn't get it. He was once foolish and deceived, and so he goes in this kind of a buttering Jesus up. We know that you're from God, and he just didn't get it. So what did Jesus do? He didn't go into apologetics. He didn't go in trying to prove a lot of things to him. He just looked at him and said the he said the one thing that is so important for me to say to you today. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because if you're not, you're not, you're not going to see life. You're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. James adds this a little bit later on of his own will, God's own will. He, God, brought us forth. Regeneration, being born again, is instantaneous. You, you might have had some, some emotional, physical response on that, that day you were born again. But the, the actual act of being born again you were aware of it about as much as your own natural birth, your own physical birth. Again, Jan and I were talking about this earlier. I said, honey, do you remember the moment you were born? And she said, well, no. I said, case in point. I, I, it, we're not. Now, some of the effects of being born again, yeah. And they can start right away, but listen. Being born again or regenerate, the washing, by the way, what does he wash us with? How does that washing take place? Other places, the washing of the word, and God does this, this miracle. And so it's an inward reality, it's instantaneous, it is once for all, it is never repeated, it is permanent, 
You cannot improve on it. What more can I say? It is a work of God beginning to end. You are born again. You are regenerated. I went over this verse early on with my kids. Before they were really old enough to understand it, (laughs) who can really understand it? I will remove, this was a promise when Jesus came, what he was going to do with that new birth. I will remove the heart of stone. Heart of stone, that's that's a, a symbol for being dead. His heart became a stone. Boom, he was dead. I will remove that dead heart and I'll give them a living heart. Instant. Never to be repeated. You can't, you can't improve on what God has done. He will take a cold, dead, hardened, unrepentant heart that turns away from God. And in a millisecond, He will give you a tender, responsive, obedient heart that stays sensitive to God's will and God's guidance. But Paul adds something else. It's the washing of regeneration, but look what else. Look look at it. And the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, boom, point in time, never to be repeated. Renewal is something that is a daily, 24-7, minute-by-minute, lifelong activity. It's the work of God plus the constant surrender of our hearts. Now that we are born again, we can finally surrender to God. So the renewal by the Holy Spirit, He takes the Word of God, He applies it, we are filled with the Spirit, and that's a lifelong process. And it looks like this. That's how you carry out that first part of being ready for every good work. How do I know this? Because it's all over Scripture. He says this to born-again people. This is not to non-saved people. If you are not a Christian today, if you haven't been born again, this is not for you. You need to be born again first. But once you are born again, what does he say to you? What does he say to you? First he says born again, and then what? Present, active tense, every day, 24-7. This minute, right here. I could ask for a show of hands. How many minds are, I, I won't, no, please don't raise your hand if you're halfway asleep and, oh, he asked us to raise our hands. That, how many of you, your minds are wondering? Well, in that second, that's, that's, we battle with the flesh. Of course your minds are wondering because you still got this flesh. Spirit sets its, its battle against the, the flesh and the flesh against the... You're going to have that for the rest of your life. And that's why every day, every minute, you need to take captive the thought right now. You need to present your body, your mind, your everything as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That means set apart. That's worship. It's not worship to come in and get emotionally stirred. Emotions might be stirred, but that's not necessarily worship. Your spiritual service of worship is to present 
yourselves and experiencing, experience the renewal of the Holy Spirit day by day, minute by minute, right now. And when you leave and when you go home, tomorrow, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? And how's your mind renewed? Well, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. <laughs> and that's all right. Because if you have been born again, there's going to be a desire to, to at least read this book some. I, I, again, the flesh is going to fight against you. But your mind will not be renewed if you're not taking this book in and submitting to the Spirit daily. It's as simple as that and as profound as that, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and what is acceptable and perfect. Do you want to know the will of God for your life? Begin with the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Are you born again? Are you regenerate? Do not get the idea that I think I can judge the motives of your heart because I can't. That's not my job. My job is not to even really expect any particular response from you. My job is to be faithful, to give to you what the Bible says, and then... You act upon that or you don't. But if you do and you're lost, you can experience the new birth. And then you can begin that renewal process of presenting yourselves daily, minute by minute, to God so that you'll be renewed by His Word and by the Holy Spirit. And then He adds icing. What motivates you to do this? Well, he says it in verse 7, and then I'll back it up with this. Verse 7 says, so that, all of this stuff, do this, what you were, what you are, what you will be. This is a, like I said, this is a tremendous passage of Scripture. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Spirit Himself if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you, and He is bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, and if you are, then you're an heir, heirs of God, and watch this, fellow heirs with, you're heirs of God, He's the one that's going to do the giving, and your fellow heirs with Christ, we're the ones that get to do the receiving. Heirs with God, fellow heirs with Christ. Now, he adds this little tidbit, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I have been aware through the years that when people die, and if there is any kind of a, an estate or 
sum of money, but the heirs will, in, in some fashion, if there is a will, then it's already done. If there's not a will, probate and all the rest. But at some point, let's say the kids sit down, they go to the, to, to the lawyer and they, the will is read, and so you're going to get this. And what, what, what do you get? They divide the estate up. And if everything relationally was good, then if there were three kids, one gets a third, one gets a third, one gets a third, right? Man's economy is not God's economy. If you look at that, we get according to, not out of. So that when the multitude that no man can number who are born again someday stand before God, we get everything individually that was Jesus. Whatever He gets, you will get. And you will get, and you will get because you are a fellow heir. Jesus Christ, and the greatest of all of that is the hope of eternal life. So I, I see in this, in my preaching, and in my witnessing, I share two motives for being born again. If you're not born again, whoa, I, I, I'm, 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 I pray for you. And I, I don't know who here today is born again and who is not. I, I know that the majority of you are born again. You are regenerate. You're seeking that renewal of the Spirit. That's one of the evidences. But I, I see two motives for being born again, and this is one of them, that someday we will enjoy the wonderful benefits of God's eternal inheritance. But I see another huge benefit, escaping the terrors of God's judgment and eternal condemnation. We should never be afraid to preach that truth. It's only by being born again, regenerated, that you will escape those terrors. But that's not the only motivation. The other is just what we've been talking about. So one last time I will ask, are you, are you born again? Have you experienced the washing of regeneration? And are you experiencing the renewal of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says simply that God created you. He created you for His glory. We have thrown that aside. He's given us commandments which reveal His glory. We violated all of them many times over. We are under His just wrath. And again, that's the bad news, but the good news is He sent Jesus to be the payment, to not only be the one to stand in our place and pay for our sins, that brings us to zero, 
But since Jesus lived a perfect life and always kept the Father's will, always kept the commandments, he is righteous and he also gives the righteousness of Christ to us when we're born again. I grew up always thinking, well, it's just, it's just being forgiven of sins. Oh, there's a whole lot more to it. We get the righteousness of Christ imputed to us when we are born again. If you're not born again, today is the day of salvation. Would you repent? If you can't repent, if you say, I, I just can't, go home, get in, literally, get in a closet where you won't be distracted and ask God to grant you repentance. I just don't know if I can believe. Well, guess who's the author of our faith? So you get in that closet and you ask God, give me repentance and faith. God, help me to be born again. And I'm thinking if, if, if that's your prayer, sincerely, uh, he's, he, he's already doing the process. But please do not go through another day without knowing that you are born again. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the marvelous truth, truth of regeneration and renewal. And I pray that today, if there is anyone who has not experienced the new birth, that today would be the day. And Lord, help us as only you can, because salvation is of the Lord, and help us to respond to you rightly. For those of us who have been born again, help us to go back and examine, have that renewal even today, presenting ourselves to you. But for those who do not know, oh God, open their eyes, bring them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son, and do it for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.